Turn with me, please, if you would, to Romans chapter 8, which is our theme verse here. Romans chapter 8, if you would turn there with me, please. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, and it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We see we're led in verse 14, and it tells us how we're led, the bearing of witness in verse 16. Now go over to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 20. Now I'm going with paper, so if I can get there, I'm reading. Because if you're, you're on the thing, now you've already beaten me, but some of you are still tapping your screen. I don't understand that. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27. The spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inner word parts of the belly. And another word, another translation says the innermost being. It is in this area of your physical person, your belly. That's where your spirit is. That's where the Holy Ghost lives. But it's really the innermost being. Now we were talking in the last, uh, the last uh, whatever, Wednesday, we were talking about, these are our two theme verses, but we were talking about how the Holy Ghost wants to lead us. He does lead us. But he wants to lead us more and how we have to be spirit conscious in order to be led because there's not one verse in the Old or New Testament where it says, well, let me rephrase. There's not one verse in the New Testament where it says that he will lead us by our bodies or our minds. Now, I'm not going to probably get into it this service, but I think I'm going to get into it next service. And listen, every one of these services have nuggets that you can't miss. That's why I'm saying watch every one for your own sake, not because I need you to watch me, but I want you to get all the nuggets that are in the series because they're powerful. But I'm going to talk probably at one o'clock. I don't think I'll have time this morning about the, 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 the ridiculous fiasco of fleeces. And, and, and Dad Hagen was very aggressive about this, and he called it this fleece business. In fact, Dad Hagen, I'll give you a quote. He said, the only time I've ever been fleeced is when I put out a fleece. Yes. Fleeces are completely unscriptural for the New Testament, but they were scriptural for the old. They couldn't be led in the Old Testament because they had to use fleeces. We'll talk about that in a second. But I just wanted to, I, I wanted to say that God in the New Testament, there's not one verse in the New Testament that says God will lead you by your body or your mind. In the Old Testament, he led them by their bodies because they would cast lots, they would do these fleeces, and God would influence the outcome. But there's danger in that, and we'll talk about that another time. But God in the New Testament, there's no verse that says anything about your mind or your body that God will lead you. He only leads in the New Testament through your spirit because your spirit is the only part of you that is alive unto God. Okay, so you're the, the, the spirit of a man is the candle. It's the light of God. The light, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Light is there for guidance. Now, if it says your spirit is the light of God inside of you, what it means is God puts his light in your spirit. Are you following me? You got to concentrate. You can't be, otherwise you'll miss things. God puts his light in your spirit. The spirit of a man is the candle, the lamp, the flashlight, the light bulb in modern vernacular of the Lord. So your spirit has God's light in it because you're saved. So how, so how does the light is for leading? so that you won't stumble in darkness. So how, do, how does God lead you? Because the light is in your spirit. So the guidance comes out of your spirit. It, it, it goes up into your mind, so your mind catches up with it. It is walked out by your body, because your body has to do it, or say it, or give action to it. Do you understand? Manifested in the earth, but it doesn't originate with your body, and it doesn't originate with your mind. It originates with your spirit, because the guidance of God is in your spirit, because the candle, the spirit of a man is the light, or the candle, or the guidance of the Lord. 
Amen. The enlightenment of the Lord. So we were talking a little bit about that before, and then I got into the difference between soul and spirit, because a lot of people don't know that there is a difference, and there's a great difference between your soul and your spirit. Now, we're not going to read the verses again that we read on Wednesday night, but I wanted to just emphasize a couple more. So 2 Corinthians, if you would please, 5.17. Can you look at 2 Corinthians 5.17? Amen. Well, I'm already there on the paper, so I'm going to read it to you. And it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'm probably not going to get to it today, but I want to talk to you a little bit about inner healing and the fiasco of inner healing. It's completely unscriptural. And yet the world, listen, we live in the world, we're not of the world. You're going to hear a lot of things in the world that have got nothing to do with God. And you better make sure that those things don't get in you, on you, or around you. But we're not going to get into that. There's so much to share. But inner healing is, is, is it's garbage. There's, not, there's nothing true about inner healing. And I'll explain why, because it's a psychological term. We'll explain that in a second. I want you to see that all things have become new, Jenny. All things. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, what what is he talking about? Uh, It couldn't be your mind because when you became in Christ, that means when you got born again, your mind wasn't instantly made new. And it couldn't be your body because your same ugly body you had before you got saved, your ugly body after you got saved. You had to go to the gym, not come to the altar call to get your body under control. And you have to renew your mind to get your mind under control. The only thing that happened in Christ, in Christ, did you see that? If any man be in Christ, if you are in, that means born again. That means you're in him. You are now part of his family. His blood has washed you. Now your spirit is made alive under the Father. Your spirit man in Christ is new. It's new. Anything old in your spirit is gone. Any demons that were there are gone. There's no Christian that can have a demon in their spirit, although it can have one in their body or their mind, but not their spirit. There's no demon, there's no Christian that can be demon-possessed because to be possessed means of your spirit. Because anything old is gone. That doesn't mean demons can't have Christians, just not in their innermost being. Anything old is gone because you're in Christ, you're new. Praise God. The only thing that really changes is your spirit. Remember, we're talking about the difference between spirit and soul and body. The only thing that changes is your spirit. That's the part that's new. And you say, but how do you know that? Well, I just read it in Romans 8, verse 14, just to quote it again. It says, it says that, that we are led by those that be led by the spirit of God. They are the sons of God, verse 16. And the spirit himself bears witness with what? With our minds? With our bodies? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are what? Born again. Children of God means born again. So where were you born again? In your spirit, because that's what he bears witness with. What became a child of God? Your spirit. What got born again? Your spirit. Your mind's not born again. Your body's not born again, but your spirit's born again. And the Spirit of God is bearing witness or testifying or showing agreement for or giving you a sense and an impulse and a knowing and inward witness and inward knowing that you know that you know that you know that you know. No matter what your unsaved uncle says, you know that you know that you are a believer. That's the Spirit bearing witness with your spirit that your spirit is in Christ. And your spirit is new. But nothing else is new. That's why it takes time. That's why people can get saved and go out and kill somebody the same day. It's possible. Depending on how messed they were up in their mind before they came to the altar. 
I'm serious. But if you just give them a little bit of time to, to, for their spirit man to start influencing their mind, washing their mind with the word, washing their, getting their body under control and all those impulses and urges that are not from God, the carnal nature, the fleshly man, and just give them some time to crucify, you'll see that, that murderer or that rapist or that, I'm giving extreme examples, or that pervert or that whoever they were, they become a glory. See, their spirit was instantly gloriously new, but it took time for their, the rest of themselves to get new. Do you understand? There is a difference between your soul, your body, and your spirit. And I was just continuing this from before. He changes your spirit. He doesn't change anything else. He doesn't work on your body. You work on your body. Some of us, we can see you haven't worked on your body. Some of us, we can see you have worked on your body. I work on my body. (laughs) Oh, God. There's a a line from Puss in Boots that my children watch with Jack Jack and Jill. No, it's Jack and Jill, Puss in Boots. And and Jack is a killer and Jill is a killer. They're bad Jack and Jill. They're not the ones you thought they were. And and he says, I want to have, I just want to have children, Jill. And she goes, Jack, I work hard. And she's like really obesely, ugly and overweight. And she goes, I work hard on my body and I ain't willing to give that up. <laughs> so sometimes I say to Jenny, Jenny, I work hard on my body. I ain't willing to give that up. Praise God. Anyway, you have to work on your body and work on your mind, but God does the work on your spirit. Now, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, please, and verse Two, for he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Verse four, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he uh, that he that prophesies edifies the church. Now go down to verse 14. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding, which is your mind, your soul, is unfruitful or unused. Do you see? I'm just proving to you there's a difference between soul and spirit. Even Paul says, when I'm praying in tongues, my spirit's praying, but my understanding, my mind. See the difference? My spirit versus my soul. It's, it's not the same. They're, they're, they're not the same, and one is working, one is not. Lastly, just, just again, we're just giving you some background and some fundamentals here that your spirit and soul is, are not the same because Dad Hagen said there was not, not one theologian in all his years, in the early years, that he spoke to, including Billy Graham and many others, all of them thought the spirit and soul were the same thing. All of them thought that. There was not one individual in the early years of the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s that had any revelation that your spirit was different to your soul. So if people as great as Billy Graham and others did not understand this, most people don't understand this. Now, more revelation has come since then, so I'm assuming you've heard of this before, but we have to give you scripture and not just opinions. So one more to show you that it's different is Hebrews 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is quick, powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder. Dividing asunder means separation of what? Soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay, so your joints or your bone, some translations say bone and marrow. Your bone and marrow medically has no dividing line like a rainbow has no dividing line between the colors. They blend. So your soul and your spirit are so close that they blend. But there is a distinction between the two. Your spirit got saved, your soul didn't. 
Are you with me? I'm just trying to give you some verses and background so that you understand. With my body, I contact the physical realm. With my soul, I contact the intellectual realm. With my spirit, I contact the spiritual realm. And there are three realms. Amen? And you can contact each of them. Now, we also talked at the end of Wednesday about faith coming out of your spirit. The, the, the spirit of a man, what is called the heart, is the, is the, is the area where faith it comes into and where it comes out of. So Romans 10, 9 and 10, I won't read it, uh, return to it, but you know, if you believe with your heart, believe is faith, have faith in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. For it is with the heart man believes and his confession is made into salvation. You know that verse. So we see faith is of the heart. So, so when you hear the word heart, we're talking, I just was sharing at the end, so I want to just wrap it up because I couldn't get, get it done on Wednesday night. And then we'll go into some new stuff. But your heart is the center of faith. Now faith comes out of your spirit. Because how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the rhema revealed word of God. You don't get faith by reading your Bible. I've read my Bible and I know people that read their Bible every day for hours. They don't have a lick of faith and they don't have a lick of victory either. You don't get faith by reading your Bible. You get faith by the Bible being revealed to you by the Holy Spirit who authored it. And even while I'm preaching, as something gets revealed to you, that's the Holy Spirit through me revealing it to your heart. So you can get it a lot by preaching, a lot of revelation I get by listening to other preach, but also by my own study of the word, my own meditating on the word doesn't mean the Bible's open. I could be, I could be driving, meditating on a scripture and revelation comes. Do you understand? And of course, it's not just the written word. It's also, it starts with that and you've got to get skillful with that first or you'll get weird. But then God can also th speak things to your heart. Yeah. He can reveal things to your heart and that is as real and as powerful as a written scripture verse. If you're skillful in the written scripture verse first, because it has to be in line with and it can't violate and you have to re recognize the timings and the interpretations of things. And a lot of people get all that mixed up and then they think God talked to them, but God was saying something, but not what they thought he was saying and their whole life goes wrong. So yes, when he gives you revelation on something, even in your heart, it is the word of God. When he gives you scripture, it is the word of God. But you see, when that comes, when that re revelation comes, when rhema revealed comes, it, where does it come? Your mind or your spirit? Your spirit. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema revealed, uttered, spoken, poured word of God into your heart or into your spirit. So where does faith originate? Your heart, your spirit, because with your heart you believe. So when faith comes, it comes up in your heart. Then it works its way out and you work that faith and you say it and your mind gets involved and your actions get involved, but it originated from your heart. Yet there are verses that say the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? There's, we can say, we, you know, when people hurt us, and I'm sure when people have hurt you, you say, well, I thought I knew that person's heart, but I guess I didn't really know their heart. In other words, their true nature, their inner, their inner insides were hidden from me. They looked like they acted a certain way to me, but really their heart was treacherous. You can see in the Bible, many examples of people with treacherous hearts. And we can see in our own lives, just, just if you're a human, there's people that have probably hurt you. As I've got a big bullseye on me and there's, I have more, more than my share of people that have hurt me over the years because you're a target when you're a leader, especially when you're a pastor. Why on earth would God ever ask me to be a pastor? I have no clue, concept or idea. Call me to be an evangelist if you want, but not a pastor. Because a pastor, you need a tough skin. A pastor, you need to really not care about people in that way. 
You love them, but you've got a leathery skin on you that they can't hurt you. They can't pierce your hide. You're like a crocodile. Do you understand? But I'm not, I was never like that. I'm, I, I'm, I'm very mercy motivated. I'm very soft hearted and I'm very loyal. It's just the way God made me. I, and, I, and, I, and I don't understand people that can't be loyal. I don't ever turn on people. Never. I never have. Never have. I don't understand how people can turn on me. I just don't, I just don't, my brain can't fathom it. So for a pastor who is constantly hurt, why would God put somebody who is sensitive to be a pastor? Because what you need to do, God, is pick somebody who's tough, like an alligator, who has got a tough hide, who loves the people, but who will keep them at a distance and won't let them close. And when they walk away, they laugh. Not a, not a laughing at them, but laughing like, I'm not going to let it hurt me. But I'm not like that. I've never been like that. So I don't know why God would ask me to be a pastor because it hurts me. Now, over the years, he's helped me grow and learn. Not, he's, it's, I'm telling you, that's why you got to pray for your pastor. Because it's a, it's a juggling game. It's a juggling game to keep a soft heart of love for the people, tenderness for the people, and yet an alligator skin somewhere in there. So when they cut you and stab you and hurt you and lie about you and leave you, that you don't let, you don't bleed out. Yeah, that's right. How do you keep a soft underbelly and yet an alligator outer skin? It's very challenging. It's so much easier to just keep the people at bay and not want them, not love them. Just, just, you know, I preach to you and that's it. But that's not what a pastor does. That's what a traveling minister does. Yeah. Traveling minister doesn't see you or know you or talk to you or visit you or counsel you. So I said, Lord, I'm perfect for a traveling minister because the only ones that can hurt me are the pastors. But then I could beat them up in the back room and nobody would know about it. <laughs> but the, but, the, but, the, but, the, but the, being a pastor with all these people, they can hurt you and they can lie about you. And I'm not built for that. I don't have that tough skin. Now, but God still, despite all the imperfections and mine apparently not qualifying in my own eyes, God still said, I still want you to do that. Which means he saw the softness as, a, as not a liability, but an asset. And he's trying to teach me how to bring the alligator toughness in with the softness. So one minute I'm like, I'm like alligator man. One minute I'm soft and I've got my underbelly toward you. And the next minute you try to turn on me, I flip over and I've got my spikes on you. That's how I see it. You just, you see my soft underbelly when you, most of the time, you just say, oh, pastor's basking again. Look, he's just basking. Look at that. So, oh, he's so nice. He's so sweet. But you try to turn on me or you try to turn on somebody I want, I'll flip over faster than you can say jackrabbit. And my soft underbelly turns into not white, nice. You ever seen a crocodile soft underbelly? And he turns around. It's not white and light yellow. It's dark green. It's angry and it's got horns. And I'll flip over and I'll be on you right now. I'll be on you. You try to hurt somebody I love. You try to hurt my congregation. You try to hurt my sheep. You try to hurt my family. I'll be on you faster than you can say jackrabbit. But you see, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a learning lesson to be underbelly and then to be top belly and yet have that balance as a pastor is extremely difficult. And I've been doing it for 12 years and I feel like I haven't hardly progressed at all. Although I know I have, but I feel like I've got so far to go because it's a challenge. It's a challenge not to emotionally disconnect from the congregation because of pain, because everything in you says, cut them off. They're going to hurt you anyway. So you just might as well just protect yourself. But the, but the Holy Ghost says, that's why a pastor's job is harder than all the other offices because all the other offices only deal with you at a distance. The pastor's the only one that deals with you close. Seriously. The pastor's office, that's why Dad Hagen said it's the, most, it's the least dramatic anointing-wise, but it's the most important value-wise. And I would add to that, it's also the hardest in many ways. 
because of the balance between the underbelly and the, and the, and the top side. Yeah. Do you understand? Anyway, uh, I don't know why God asked me, but he did, so you have to put up with it if you'd like to, and uh, amen. So faith, brother Greg, is of the heart. That's where faith, your spirit is your heart. But what about the words that say your, spirit is, your heart is treacherous? How could your spirit be treacherous? Well, because you have to understand the word heart is referring to the core of you. Where's the core? Your spirit. Where is your soul? Hebrews 4.12, it's right beside your spirit. Really, it's like above your spirit if you want to look at it from a, from a linear perspective. But it's so close, it's like bone and marrow. It almost blends, but it is divisible. It is different, but it's so close. Yeah. Do you understand? So the way I see it is this. Your heart, your heart, H-E-A-R-T, the core of you is like an elastic band. This is your heart. Now, it looks like it's all together. You can't tell the difference between soul and spirit when you first look at it. It looks the same. It looks compressed. It looks all like it's together. And it's all called your heart. But if you stretch it out like this, you've got on the bottom part, the deeper part, your spirit, which is your heart. And you've got on the top part, your soul, which is your heart. Your heart was all compressed, but it can be separated. And the deeper part of you, the core, the true core, this is the core, but this is the true core. This is your spirit man where faith resides, where the Holy Ghost lives, and that's where faith comes out of. That's where the revealed word of God goes into. But this top part is still your core, and it's still your quote-unquote heart, but it's your soul part of your heart, and your soul can be deceitfully wicked. It can be a liar. It can be treacherous. It can be awful. It can be evil. But it's all part of your core. But it's separated from your spirit to your soul. And so some verses where it says heart is talking about your soul. Other verses where it says heart is talking about your spirit. You say, how do I know the difference? It's very easy. If it's in the affirmative or the positive, it's talking about your spirit. If it's in the negative, it's talking about your soul. Where your heart is treacherous. And remember Jesus said, out of how can things come out of somebody's heart? How could bitter and sweet water come out of the same well, the same fountain, the same heart? He's not talking about your spirit because nothing bitter can come out of your spirit, but he's talking about your soul because your soul can be renewed in one area and you're sweet to the grand lady and you're helping her across the street, but then you get into work and you cuss out your boss. You just said to the sweet old lady how much you love her and you witnessed her about Jesus, but you get into work and you cuss off your boss because there was good water coming out of your well and then bitter water coming out of your well. And that shouldn't be, but it is for the unrenewed mind. But it didn't come out of your spirit. It came out of your soul. It came out of the part of your heart that's part of your soul, which is not always good. But the goods part of you, the spirit part of you, the heart part of you, the faith part of you, where the Holy Ghost lives is innocent and pure and sinless. Nothing bitter can come out of there. Now your spirit can still be weaker. It can have varies of strength, but no varies of sin. I'm, I don't know if you, some of you are just staring. Are you okay? You were still with me? We'll talk about in a second. Okay. Well, let me, let me just actually read that to you now. So out of your, we talked about faith coming out of your heart. Where does it come out of? Your spirit. But you can also have wrong things come out of your heart, which is your soul. Are you with me? Now, your spirit, I just said this, I was going to talk about it later, but let's just talk about it now. Your spirit can never sin. Why? Because 1 John says that the, the, the seed of God, find that verse for me, Taylor, it's on in my notes. It says the seed of God is in you. Now, I don't mean to be vulgar or crude, but when a husband uh, makes love to his wife, he puts a seed and a child is born. Do you understand? That's the DNA code that is in him that joins with her. And a child is born that has DNA on both. Yeah. 
So when you get born again, okay, because remember, you're the bride of Christ. So when you come and you join with Jesus, it's not sexual, obviously, it's spiritual, but God has to use a natural example so that human yeah. people can understand it. And so when you get born again, it's like you're married to Jesus and God's seed, God's DNA comes where? Not your mind and not your body. It comes into your spirit. When the seed of God comes into your spirit, that means perfection is in your spirit. That means God, it's amazing. God's DNA code is in you. It was not in any Old Testament person. It is not in any, even the greatest of the prophets, which was John the Baptist, is less, Jesus said, than the, than the littlest believer in the new. Do you find it, brother? 1 John 3, 9. Whatsoever is born of God does not, whosoever is born of God, born again, does not commit sin. But I did sin, you say. I've just been sinning a few minutes ago, Pastor. I've been thinking bad thoughts about you. That's a sin. You should repent. For his God's seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. What is it talking about? You've got to understand spirit, soul, body, or this doesn't make sense. If you're born with God's seed in your spirit. That means your spirit can never sin. But your soul can sin. Do you understand? Your soul can do wrong things. You can, you can sin and displease God with a wrong heart, but that's part of your soul realm. Now, you still have to have that washed. So when the blood of Jesus came into my spirit, when I first got saved, he took away that sin nature. He took away that separation from God. The seed of God goes in me. Now my spirit is perfect and sinless, and my spirit can never sin. But my soul can commit sin. My body can commit sin and I still need the blood of Jesus not to wash my spirit because they already washed it. But I still need 1 John 1, 9. If any of you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous. You confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteous. And the blood of Jesus cleanseth us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7 and 9. When you sin in your soul or your body, your spirit can't, but the blood of Jesus comes to wash your soul, wash your body. Wash you of that sin. There's a false doctrine going around from Malaysia and it's going, uh, well, not Malaysia, but in that area of the world, I won't say exactly, but some of you know who I'm talking about. Uh, there's, there's, there's a false doctrine that says as a believer, you can't sin even in your soul. That once Jesus has saved you and then he's forgiven all your future sins. So anything you do doesn't have to be repented of anymore. And there, that minister who's completely a false, he's a false teacher and he's in error. He teaches a lot that is good, but that is, that, that is rat poison. And by the way, rat poison is 99.99% fine. It's the 0.001% that'll kill the rat. And there's a lot of ministers that have a lot of good doctrine, but the one thing that is kryptonite will destroy people's lives. And that minister out of that area in, in, the, in that part of the world has been teaching and written books on it where he says 1 John 1, 9 is not written to the believer. That is heresy and that is false doctrine. Because it, Jesus did forgive all your future sins when he was on the cross. He provided forgiveness, Lorraine, to you as an offering. But until you confess it and receive that forgiveness and that blood, you have not received that forgiveness. Do you understand? They're saying you've already received it, but you can't without your confession. So just like you got saved by the confession and the blood washed your spirit, you must also, when you sin in your soul or body going forward, you must also confess that sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you with his blood from all. But he's offered it to you on the cross, but you haven't taken it. Yeah. 
You only took it to wash your spirit when you got saved, but you need a regular taking of that blood on a daily basis if you're sinning on a daily basis. And hopefully you're not, but if you do, you take that blood daily. And they're teaching that you don't ever need to repent. You know what that leads to? Christians doing whatever they want, whenever they want, and thinking they're scot-free. And people that have received that book, and I can give you about 12 names off the top of my head, as soon as that book gets into them and they get into that doctrine, they start committing... uh, I know a minister that as soon as he started yielding to that, he cheated on his wife and then told everybody it was okay because Jesus had already forgiven him and he didn't need to repent. And And he lost his church, he lost his everything, he lost everything. I know, I know individual Christians, as soon as they read that, they stop tithing, they stop serving God, they stop praying, they stop, because it takes all the boundaries of righteousness off you. Well, if he's already forgiven me for everything and I don't need to repent, then I can do whatever I want. That is false doctrine. No, he's forgiven you for everything because it's offered, but you haven't received it yet. You have to take it. Well, how do you take it? Father, I missed it. I confess my sin to you. Like the other day when I was rebuking those allergies and the Lord said, it's not going to work because you're an unforgiveness toward this person. He told me who it was immediately. I mean, it was, it was hard on my flesh because I was, I was right. They were wrong, but it's still wrong for me to be unforgiveness to them. So I said, father, I forgive him. I let it go. You see what I'm doing? I confess my sin of unforgiveness. I take that blood. I receive that blood to wash and cleanse me now, according to first John one, nine and seven. And I'm clean. My spirit was never in sin, but my soul was. Are you with me? Now your soul can be, your spirit, your spirit man can't sin, but it can be weak. So turn quickly, if you would please now, to first, uh, to Ephesians 3.16. You're in church to learn the Bible, and so I'm teaching you the Bible, and I'm watching the clock, so don't worry. First, uh, Ephesians 3.16. I know some of this is basic, honey, but people need to hear it. And we got all different people watching. We got all different people here. I'm looking over, some of you have been saved 30 years. Some of you have been saved three months. The people that saved three months, this is brand new for them. People that saved 30 years, like you, Reverend Greg, you know all this, but there's still stuff the Lord can help build up and strengthen what you already know. And maybe an extra nugget here or there that will just bless you. Ephesians 3:16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Why would you need to be strengthened in your inner man, your innermost being? Remember I said on Wednesday, Peter called it the hidden man of the heart. Paul called it the inward man, but it's your spirit. Why would you need to be strengthened in your spirit if your spirit's always strong? Did you notice it didn't say that you would be cleansed with might by his spirit in the inner man? Your spirit man, your inner man can't sin because it's got the seed of God. And we just read you that you can't sin in your spirit. So it's not cleansing your spirit, but it's strengthening. So your spirit, while pure and with God's DNA in it and God's strength in it from that perspective uh, to, 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 to not sin, you can also have a weak spirit. Dad Hagen wrote a whole book on having weak spirits and how to get a strong spirit. The simple way you get a strong spirit is spend time in the Word because the Word feeds your spirit. Praying in the Holy Ghost and praying all the other eight kinds of prayer. Worship and praying in your understanding. It's, it's communion with God. It strengthens your spirit. Mm-hmm. Now when your spirit, okay, so we got that strengthened with might with might by his spirit. So the Holy Ghost is the one that strengthens. Now the word strengthen means to empower or to increase in vigor. God wants to empower your spirit and make it strong. Now listen, let me give you, like we're talking about being led by the spirit, right? You got to first figure out that your soul and spirit is different or you'll never be led by the spirit. Because God leads you with light and guidance in your spirit. It's different to your mind, will, emotions, and your body. Are you with me? 
My spirit journey can't sin, but my spirit can be weak if I'm, if I'm not doing things that are right. If I'm not doing things, not even that are right. That if, I'm not, if I'm not seeking God, if I'm not engaging God, my spirit man will get weak. Now the Holy Ghost can strengthen your spirit man. How does he, how do you let him strengthen it? He strengthens it as you are fellowshipping with God, as you get to know God, as you spend time with God in his word and in prayer, the Holy Spirit comes to strengthen your spirit. Now listen, let me help you with something. Your spirit wants to communicate, which we're going to get to because it's a little complicated, but it's easy once you understand it, but it sounds complicated at first, but it's not. We're going to get to that. Not today. Your spirit wants to talk to your mind about what God is saying to your spirit. That's how you know what school to go to. That's how you know who to marry. That's how you know don't drive this road today. That's how you know. Your mind has to catch up with this because if your mind doesn't understand it, you can't act on it. But it doesn't come from your mind. It comes from your spirit. But your spirit is the receptacle because that's where the Holy Ghost is wanting to talk to your mind to catch your mind up of what the Holy Ghost has been telling your spirit. Are you understanding me? Now, if your spirit is weak and dilapidated because you never pray, you never read the Bible and you never go to church and you never spend time with God because you're too busy doing everything else under the sun. Your spirit still has the Holy Ghost in there. The Holy Ghost is communicating to your spirit, but your spirit is in a weakened state, not a sinful state, a weakened state. And a weakened spirit does not communicate to your mind the same. So a lot of people say, I can't hear, I can't hear God. I don't know what God is saying. That's because your spirit's weak. Because your spirit has, the weaker your spirit is, the, the signal is not as strong to your mind. So strengthen your spirit. Now, other people have strong spirits. They're doing all the right things, but their mind is, and they're talk constantly thinking like little pinwheels up there all the time, and they can't quieten their mind. So their spirit is strong and the signal is strong, but it can't break through all the stuff in the mind because they're over. Now, there's another side of it. Somebody may not be overly busy and like this in their mind, but they're not renewed in their mind. They're not super busy necessarily and needing to quieten it. But other people engage their mind and their thoughts in wrong behavior. So their mind, they're thinking wrong thoughts. They're watching wrong things. They're listening to wrong things. They're saying wrong things. They're engaging in fleshly attitudes and, and, and actions. So they're not spiritually minded. Right. Their mind may not be buzzing, but their mind is carnal. So the spirit man is trying to talk, talk to your mind, but if your mind, is, if your mind is kind of carnal, it doesn't pick up the signal from your spirit. Are you, see, you see that there's a lot of different ways to cut this pie. Your spirit may be strong, but your mind is carnal and fleshly and unrenewed and unregenerated, and it can't hear what God is saying. Your spirit might be, now it, that's almost an oxymoron, because if your mind is that unrenewed, your spirit is usually not that strong but I'm just dividing it for sake of argument. If hypothetically your spirit was strong, which it wouldn't be if your mind was that messed up. Yeah. But if even if it was, and your mind is carnal and just engaging in all this nonsense, it won't pick up the signal. Yeah, that's right. Now your spirit may be strong, which is more realistic, the second version. Your spirit may be strong, but your mind is just constantly going and you haven't learned to quieten your mind. Mm -hmm. It won't pick up the signal, not, it's, not because it's carnal, but because it's too occupied. Yes. Do you understand? And what often happens is your mind might be quiet 
And your mind, you may not even be engaged in carnal thoughts or carnal actions. Your mind is not necessarily unrenewed, and it's not necessarily super occupied and busy. But because you never pray, you never read, your spirit is weak, and your mind is open for the signal, but the signal is weak. Because your spirit man is weak. There's a lot of reasons why people can't hear God. Okay, and it's not, and it's, a lot of people don't understand why they can't hear God. My job as a pastor is to teach you so that you can avoid these pitfalls. What is the answer? Have a strong spirit. How do you get that? They're being strengthened with might by the Holy Ghost. How does he strengthen you? Spend time with him. Yeah. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in the word. Then your spirit will be strong. What's the next step? Make sure that you're renewing this mind and you're not letting it think bad thoughts. Do th you just... Get your mind washed. Now remember, how do, it's, it's the same process. As you are in the Word and praying, your spirit is strengthened. And as you're in the Word and praying, your mind is washed. So both parties, both, both mechanisms are being helped as you're in the Word and praying. Your spirit is strengthened and your mind is being renewed. Do you understand? So as you just spend time with God, both things are happening simultaneously. You don't even know it. Your spirit is growing in strength and your mind is being washed and cleaned so that it can pick up the signals. What, so th and that's what happens with most people, Reverend Greg. Their spirit is, is usually f fine on the strength level and their mind is more or less fine on the renewed level because they're feeding on the word and they're praying. Why can't they hear from God? Because they're too busy in their thought life. Their spirit might be strong, their mind might be renewed, but because they haven't learned to quieten their thoughts, they're constantly, because of our busy society and our drive-through attitude, they're constantly on their, on their social media, they're constantly this, they're busy, they're rushing the gym and the extracurricular and work, and, and their mind is constantly like a beehive. And the signals are coming because they are spending time with God and they have a renewed mind. The signals are coming, but the signals, they're not picking up the signal because they've got a thousand things on their plate. That's why take time every day to quieten, not empty. That's what the yoga people say. You empty your mind, something's going to fill it and it won't be God. You don't ever empty your mind, you quieten your mind. That's why Pastor Nancy is constantly saying to people that she knows love God. Yeah. She knows that their spirit is, is strong enough. She knows their mind is renewed enough to pick up what their spirit is saying. But they're still not hearing because they're so busy. What did Dad Hagen say to all the ministers? Busy, 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 yeah. busy, busy, busy. We think things are so important. I'm telling you, a lot of it is not. What's more important? Listen, you, you need to go and do all these things. What's most important is that you hear your spirit. Because if you miss your spirit, you'll miss that husband or that wife that God has got for you. If you miss your spirit, you'll take the wrong job. If you miss your spirit, you'll take the wrong road. And then, then, and then even though you applied the blood because you didn't follow that inner witness, there'll be a problem. So take time to slow things down quiet in your mind. Stop letting it buzz. You have the control over your mind. Sometimes, I, I, Jenny, I, can, I, can I put another analogy for you? I don't know if you're like me, but, but if I've had a very busy day and a very busy night and there's a lot of administration, a lot of going on, if I go from that Lorraine right to try to sleep, I can't sleep because my mind is moving. So what I do is I try to put on Everybody Loves Raymond or, or some clean, funny, I've got to be clean, but some clean thing that is just fluff. Yeah. It's cotton candy for the mind. Yeah. Yeah. Because if I don't, what, just, even just for 15 minutes, if I don't just kind of stop thinking and just go into like no man's land, which that helps me, I can't go to physical, I can't physically sleep because I'm too wired. What have I done, Taylor, by watching Everyone Loves Raymond? What have I done? 
quietened my mind. Why? Because instead of concentrating and thinking on things, I'm just staring. <laughs> Look at Robert, what an idiot. <laughs> I'm just engaged in fluff. Now what happens? My mind is not going zzzz, and my mind goes, oh. I turn that TV off and I go and I fall right to sleep. But if I don't do that, I can't fall asleep because my mind is too, too active. Now that's me. Maybe that's not you, but I'm trying to give you a principle. The same way I quieten my mind to go to bed is the same way you quieten your mind in prayer. You sit before God and not everything is buzzing and you just close your eyes. And instead of watching something that makes you funny or calm or relaxed, you just close your eyes and you worship him. Father, I worship you. And that worship is much better than those other kind of things. Right. Now, I don't just do those natural things like, like watching a show. Many times I just read the word and I pray and then I fall off zoo. But the point is you're, I'm using the natural an analogy so you can understand having a busy mind and watching something soothing or, or funny or fluffy is going to quieten your thoughts. Well, the same thing, prayer and worship. When you close your eyes and you begin to worship and what happens? It quietens your thoughts. Now, if you give time every day to quietening your mind, and especially if your spirit is reasonably strong because it is if you're praying and in the word and you're faithful and your mind is renewed, it, it more or less is always being renewed if you're in the word and if you're being faithful and if you love God and you're praying, then the signal is coming up out of your spirit. And the only reason you're not hearing is because you're too busy. But if you just quieten your thoughts, that signal will come and you'll go, oh, is that you, Lord? And over time, you'll learn what's him and what's not him. Okay, now listen, if you're not sure, don't make massive decisions. Like if you're not sure and you think, I think, I think God said to sell my house. Well, if I were you, I'd, I'd make sure because you might get in trouble. Well, I think a big one is, a huge one is because of your spiritual supply. Well, I think God wants me to go to a church closer to my house so I don't have to drive as far. That's never God, ever. In fact, you'll probably pick a church further from you to see your sacrifice level. But I'm just saying, you don't, you don't make mistakes. You don't, you don't test it out on things like who you marry and selling homes, and where you go to church, and what job you're going to pick. Those are major decisions that will affect the rest of your life. You test it out on things like, well, Lord, I, I'm not, I have a sense that pastor's going to preach on this today. You don't have to go tell everybody in the bathroom. Oh, yeah, ladies, I, God spoke to me, and I know pastor's going to preach on the apocalypse today, and it's just going to come to pass. And then I, and then I teach on nothing to do with the apocalypse, and they're all looking at you in service going, yeah, well, well, you didn't you know how to hear your spirit right. You don't have to tell everybody what, God, what you sense, but, you, but you, just, you just see if it comes to pass. Yeah. Lorraine many times has come to me and she said, Pastor, uh, I, I knew I was going to tell you before, but you were busy. I knew exactly what you were going to preach today. And I mean, even down to the points. Many times she's been 100% accurate, even down to what points I use. I don't discuss with her what I'm going to preach, but she's praying and the Holy Ghost speaks to her in prayer. This is going to be said, pray that the people would catch it. And many times she's told me almost exactly everything I preach. It's, it's astonishing. How does she know that? Her spirit. She's learned how to listen to her spirit. Praise God. Your spirit and your soul is different. God's working through your spirit. Light and guidance is in your spirit. Amen. Your spirit can become strong. Just wait on God. Yeah. Your soul can become renewed. Wait on God. Your soul can become quiet. Choose to quieten it. Yeah. 
You will learn to hear the promptings and the impulses. Remember, I think it's the Passion Translation says the impulses of the Spirit out of your spirit. It's not always a loud voice. It's not always like Elijah. It's not always a rain or an earthquake or a storm or a fire. It's the still, small voice. The impulses, the promptings, the whisperings. It's in your spirit. Your mind will pick it up if you learn. Keep it strong. Keep your mind renewed and keep your mind quiet then your mind will start to hear and then practice on the little things that aren't going to affect your life too dramatically. And then as you start to get a, like a batting average, you know, in baseball, you know, they'll say 451. Now you can see somebody with 451. That's a very good pitching. That's a very good hitting record. And really, it's a, from another perspective, it's a complete failure. That means they haven't even hit half. Many of them are in the 200s. My point is the batting average starts to improve the more contacts they make with the ball. Your batting average in the spirit will start to improve the more times you think you heard from God. You, you make a decision, but nothing too rash, nothing that's going to affect you too dramatically. And it turns out and proves out that it was right. You've just got one contact. Yeah. But when you think you heard from God and it doesn't work out, you struck out. Mm-hmm. Even though you thought you hit a home run. Right? Now you've got two occasions, but only one contact. Do that. This is a marathon, my brothers. This is not a sprint. Do it over a few years and see where your batting average is. You'll see if you start to do what I'm saying, you start to wait on God more and strengthen your spirit, renew your mind, quieten your mind, your batting average start going up. And you'll start to hear him more effectively and start to prove out that it was actually him and it came to pass exactly like he said. And there's peace and joy accompanying it, which is your confirmation that it was him. And, you're, and you've made contact again. And you made contact again. Every now and then we, we, we swing and we miss because it's human. Even Dad Hagen said after seven years, I can miss it. Meaning I can miss the ball, meaning I swing and I don't make contact. But in most cases, the more mature you get, every time you swing, you'll make contact and your batting average will go from 100 to two to three to eight to nine. You can be up in the high nines where almost every time you're making contact because you're hearing the impulses and you're acting accordingly and you're not making mistakes. Hallelujah. That's what gives us hope. My batting average can improve. It don't matter how many times I've missed it, Jenny, and I've missed it a lot. But it doesn't matter how many times I'm improving. It doesn't matter how many times you've missed it. Don't beat yourself up. The devil wants you to stay in the area of condemnation and self-hatred and, and judgment. And, and that's, he's manipulating you to push you down. No, Jesus has forgiven me. I forgive myself. Half the problem with people is they won't forgive themselves. God's already forgiven them, but they're beating themselves up. Father, we lift our hands right now and we just, Lord, for whatever we've missed it, wherever we've, we've struck out, wherever we've swung and we have not made contact. And Lord, if we're honest, all of us have done that probably more times than we have made contact. But Father, we thank you that you forgive us. We thank you that you're restoring even when bad decisions were made that cost us heavily, that you are restoring what the canker worm and the locust has eaten. You are restoring back to us even the effects of our bad decisions because you're that merciful and you're that good. And Lord, we forgive ourselves. You've already forgiven us, but we forgive ourselves. We stop holding ourselves in that arena of condemnation and judgment. We forgive ourselves for missing it. We forgive ourselves for not making contact because Father, we're human, but we're on a journey and we're learning and we're getting more skill every single week. Every day, in fact, we're getting more skill. 
So Lord, let these precious congregation members today not feel discouraged in any way, shape, or form. No matter how many times they've missed it, Lord, there's always a fresh day tomorrow. Your word says that the mercies of God are fresh every morning as the dew that falls. Lord, there's fresh mercies for them today and there'll be fresh mercies tomorrow. We don't use that as a justification to sin, but Lord, we use that as a hope to say no matter what has happened, and even if we miss it today, God is still with us. He still loves us. And we're going to get back up on the horse tomorrow and we're going to keep going and we're going to keep swinging and we're going to keep practicing and our batting average is going to get better. And we thank you because we've got the Holy Ghost and he's the great helper and the great teacher and the great comforter and the great guide. And he is going to work with us over our lives. So Father, I thank you for it now.